0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Fugue for Thought, the podcast. I'm Alan. And today we have a topic that is becoming closer and closer to uh, my heart or to the focus of what the Fugue for Thought, the website is kind of focusing on lately. And put simply, it's finding new music. Um, Last time we had Clipper Erickson on the podcast, he was speaking uh, in depth with us about uh, his recordings of Nathaniel Dett's music, his most recent release called My Cup Runneth Over, uh, hence the name of these two episodes. But today, we're talking about yet more new music. Um, In the end of that episode, we teased about uh, what's coming up. We have Discussions today in the episode about composers who you have heard of, like Rachmaninoff, or maybe not, like Cyril Scott, Laurie Altman, David Finko. And so um, we're going to talk with Clipper Erickson about that today. Before we get started, I do just want to do a little bit of that kind of plugging basic, by the way. Um, Like us on Facebook, leave us a comment and a rating on iTunes, share us with your friends, check out Clipper Erickson's website. Um, All of those links will be in the description, um, and they make a difference. So check out his stuff, check out my stuff, and share it with your friends. Uh, Let's get started. I understand that you have some other projects uh, kind of, we haven't talked about it much, but along these lines, um, underperformed, non-performed, a little bit more obscure stuff. Uh, yeah. Not not American, right?
1: Um, or... very, often, very often. My next project is to do some recording of Laurie Altman's music. He's, he's a big sonata writer. I've recorded his fifth sonata several years ago. And now I'm doing his seventh sonata, which is titled Tanzania. And has uh, Tanzania folk song running through the running through the piece. Wow! But it's very difficult. It's very difficult music. It's it's not not easy to to wrap for me to wrap around as a performer. He never writes two measures with the same time signature next to each other. Laurie Altman, you said. Laurie Altman,
0: uh, uh, American. Yes. He lives
1: okay. you know, in Zurich, and his. He's a jazz pianist, and his his music is kind of rooted in in modern jazz. But he's also a big fan of Stravinsky and Schoenberg. And oh wow, that would be interesting. He, he actually he composed a string quartet that's a reimagining of Schoenberg Opus Nineteen. Fascinating piece. Oh wow. Yeah. So he uses a lot of the the thematic materials from from Opus Nineteen and reworks it into a large string quartet. It's a really cool piece.
0: Interesting. And And, so is his music is, is it equally as, you know, Stravinsky and Schoenberg, is it equally that modern uh, or or is it just kind of reminiscent of.
1: It's 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 quite modern. Usually Uh, there's another set of variations that I'm doing on a theme from the second Rachmaninoff piano sonata. It's much more romantic, obviously. Sure. So you kind of travel around through various styles. It's very, very eclectic. And you mentioned
0: fifth and seventh sonatas. How many sonatas are there?
1: Oh, he's up to number eight now.
0: Okay. Wow.
1: His number eight has five movements. It's enormous.
0: Wow. And, and his stuff has, has been performed before, or will these also be? Um... These will be premieres. So I've de- I did the premiere of the, the fifth sonata and
1: the seventh sonata last year, and it'll be, they'll be first recordings. Wow. Yeah. So I've performed them here in the States and also in Germany.
0: And and so he's he's still he's still alive. Oh he's yeah, he's still and... alive and, and composing. So then here's a question for if it's a if it's a premiere performance and and you've got the composer, uh, you know, I guess maybe in some ways looking over your shoulder. Yeah. What's that? What's that pressure like?
1: Oh, it's yeah, it's pressure, particularly <laughs> when you're when you're playing for somebody who's fussy. <laughs> his music, and he wants it done a certain way, and it 's sometimes not easy to figure out exactly what the composer wants but it 's a fascinating process.
0: well, I would imagine uh, on one hand, it would be convenient to actually be able to ask them right we can 't do that with Beethoven or Det, but
1: yeah, so I ask him all the time, and what 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 do you mean by this and what? How do you want this? And I try out different things, and he says, "Yeah, I like that," or "I don't like that." And sometimes I even change his markings, like I'll change his dynamics, I'll even expression marks and things, I'll change around. And he said, "Oh, yeah, I really like that." So I th- that informs my my interpretation and my teaching of older music because I, the one thing I really dislike is this. Idea that you have to follow exactly everything that the composer says all the time without question. Sure. And I really have some difficulty with that, um, knowing how composers work
0: you know, and getting so their have
1: feedback. To, to what the composer says, and it's important to, to know what the composer says, but you have to also recreate the music it's not enough just to simply follow all the directions on the page. Like you're following a recipe.
0: <laughs> right.
1: And that's very much what, what I run into in, in interpreting older music. And I, I dislike that a lot.
0: Is it, is it, does it come from maybe a, a lack of experience with students or maybe kind of being a little more unwilling or nervous to, to be adventurous or is it just laziness?
1: Well, it's a little bit of both. I think, yeah, I think it's much easier to just be the, I, I tell people like, do you want to, do you want to be a cook or do you want to be a chef? Right. A cook, a cook follows the recipe. So you look at the notes on the page and all the markings and you follow all the markings and okay, you've got a great performance. Or do you want to be a chef and recreate this thing? Right. And that's what I, that's how I teach. And that's how I try to approach, approach music, that it's, it's not enough to just simply follow the directions on the page, because that's not the spirit that it was written in. And that's apparent from working with composers who are alive now, and that they may like their music played a little bit differently than they put it on the
0: page. Sure, it's not the final word necessarily. It's
1: not, the, it's not the final word. So you find out how much flexibility there is. You have to be creative. But you have to be creative within the boundary of understanding the style. It doesn't mean that you can just you know do whatever you want all the time and it does, what the composer wrote doesn't matter. Of course not. And
0: sure. it has it, to be convincing.
1: It has to be convincing. And the convincing part comes from understanding what goes on in the composer's head. It doesn't okay. come from following the directions on the page. Right? That's just the gu- that's the guidepost.
0: And so uh there's there's Laurie Altman, there's an, another composer a few actually that you've that you've mentioned um that I'm very curious about when you mentioned the name um Scriabin. Or you or he meant, you mentioned a Russian composer first I guess. David Finko. Yeah, David Finko. He's my next
1: major project to to record most of his piano works. He has three sonatas. The third was written for me. Oh, so fascinating. Awesome. Yeah. He wrote that for me in 2009. So I did the premiere of that. And I think it's time to get all of his music down. And he's a fascinating composer. He's a fascinating biography. His father was a top designer for the Soviet Navy of sub- submarine. And David, the son, was also trained as an engineer, so he's very mathematical, very engineered about his music, but the music is extremely intense. It's very, it's like Shostakovich, it's much more what you've just been hurt hearing tonight, it's dark,
0: it's very mystical, you know, it's very Russian. I want to say there's a couple of other Russian composers who were also engineers. Was it, was it Rimsky Korsakov or someone, a couple of them who had like military or other careers and then like went on to do incredible yeah, things in music. Were other people, like Rimsky-Korsakov was a naval officer and
1: Borodin was a chemist. He was a
0: chemist, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: so they all had an actually important chemist. Like supposedly in the chemistry world, Borodin's research is like, yeah, it's
0: like on the He mainstream. had a couple of big, yeah, I think he had a couple of big things. He's got something or other named after him, I want to say. Um, that's uh, quite something.
1: Yeah, so something something that he, re- I don't know exactly what it was, but something that he researched is important in in the history of of
0: chemistry knowledge, so it, Yeah, it's it is very interesting. So David Finco, three sonatas. What else?
1: Three sonatas, and then there's a piece called B eighty eight. And B eighty eight was a submarine. That, That's what it sounds like. Finko, yeah, and <laughs> what that Finko was stationed on. So it's all about the terrifying noises that you're in a submarine, and you're you're you know you're taking it down. You're you're pushing the limit of how far it can go before it it destroys itself with the pressure of the of the water. That would so be terrifying. Leaking of the of the hull collapsing and caving in and you know, it's very you know, it's this very creepy kind of music that's evocative of, of this of this gets in a submarine to plumb how far down you can go before the whole thing caves in. Yeah,
0: that would be unnerving.
1: Yeah, it's very unnerving. So he's captured that in the, in the music. So it's very it's totally unlike that.
0: It, it certainly sounds that way. And so so these, you said, are world premiere recordings. I can't pull anything up on YouTube because you've got me curious now.
1: <laughs> well, you'll probably find, you might find something of David Finco's, particularly the concerti have been done. They were recorded by uh, one of the Philadelphia orchestras. Oh, really? Uh, the New Music Orchestra. So he has a piano concerto, the Moses Concerto. And that also, sounds more like debt. Yeah. But, well, yeah. Okay. So David Finko's Moses is a lot different than. <laughs> but, <laughs> and then there's a, um, there's a piccolo concerto that he wrote recently. And there's a, violin sounds interesting. concerto. Viola concerto so there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of orchestral works also. There's a few operas and his first wow. sonata is based on the Yiddish theory, uh, y- the Yiddish theater of Solomon Nichols. Who um, was in the early Soviet period? Was uh, redid all of Shakespeare's theater in Yiddish. A lot of Shakespeare plays in Yiddish and reimagined them as Yiddish theater. So that's that's the inspiration for the first sonnet. It's a wonderful piece. It's written in the '60s in Leningrad. Oh wow. So that's that's my next project. When I get to it, probably sometime next year. It takes a while to get all these things together. And His music is also very difficult.
0: Yeah, that was my question. I look forward to. Uh, will, will that will that be Kickstarter also? Probably, yeah. That cool. Will I will. Uh, I will definitely look out for that because you know now hearing all of this, and after having heard your recording of Det's music, I'm I'm very interested in, um, you know, in hearing new things
1: yeah and this is completely different debt is coloristic and personal Finko is massive intense you need a beast of a piano you need like big massive sound. St- you need the same kind of piano that you'd want to play Rachmaninoff or Prokofiev on you need a beast that's the feeling of the music it's not it's hard-hitting stuff like a Steinway you need an American Steinway
0: so what's the difference between a Hamburg and American Steinway
1: well, I'm not sure what the technical, what the physical differences are, but the sound is is very different. American Steinways, you can dig and brutalize it and get more <laughs> and more out of it. A Homburg Steinway doesn't respond to that. It's much more sensitive. The action is lighter. It's a little bit more shallow. It's not easy sometimes to go back and forth between the, physically between the two actions. Oh, really? More, it's more sensitive. It's more coloristic. American
0: Steinways are powerful and are they still making hamburg steinways or they're all 100 something years old oh no they're making them okay i had for some reason i had thought that they were now all american no mm-mm. They're, they're made on both sides of the the pond now interesting well cool david finko now i'm all i'm all uh interested interested in that and then at the mention of at the mention of russian composers and the mention of scriabin there was uh cyril scott who was Scott
1: along with the debt release was world premiere recording of two violin sonatas of Cyril Scott which I did with my violinist partner in England he's head of the music department at the University of Birmingham Andrew Kirkman and we undertook to record uh, the first recording and actually the first performance of Scott's fourth violin sonata written in 1956 and the first version of his first violin sonata written in 1908. And he revised that sonata in also in 1956, and that's been recorded. But uh, the first version has not. Um, so we did the first recording of both of those.
0: And does that not seem a little bit odd that a piece that takes only two people to perform <laughs> had not been, pre- you know, I can't understand if it's a giant oratorio or something, but what is it that two pe- violin sonatas had not been premiered?
1: Well, the first violin sonata, I think, um, he, when he revised it, he cut it down massively. And it's by far the largest violin sonata that I've ever run across. It's about, it's 45, 50 minutes. Whoa. So it's an enormous piece. And it has a gigantic piano part. part. One of the, the interesting features of it is towards the end of the last movement, there's a gigantic piano cadenza for five minutes. Holy cow. Just takes off on this crazy cadenza and the violinist is just like stands there, I guess, looking at the player quizzically, like, what are you doing? <laughs> and then the piano just takes off on this really cool piano cadenza. It's just wild. And then, and then the violin just comes in and then whips the whole thing up to a big conclusion. Uh, so it's a big, big piece and it's complex. So it's a little bit forbidding for people to play. Um, and the last sonata, I think what, the reason why that had not been performed is Cyril Scott went into almost complete oblivion towards the end of his life. Now, of course, he lived to be 91. Or 90. Oh, we
0: didn't realize that.
1: Yeah. So he was, he was born in 1879 and died in 1970. So at, towards the wow. end of his life, he was just come, almost completely passed over. But he kept writing. Even though he was being completely ignored, and in the last ten fifteen years there 's been a big renaissance of scott 's music
0: i 'm largely unfamiliar with with uh cyril scott i uh, only heard i 've heard a couple of his or i guess his first symphony but but was did he ever have a time during his career where he had his big fifteen minutes of fame as a as an english yeah, composer he was,
1: he was con- in the first Fifteen years, I think, of the twentieth century, he was considered the up-and-coming British composer. British, the new British modernism—that's what he embodied. He was a group of people that studied in Frankfurt, and some of the other members were Percy Granger and Roger Quilter. But Scott was kind of the modernist and and the most outgoing of the group, and he was really thought he was very respected by Debussy and Stravinsky were re- really very entranced with his music. And then I think somehow in the 20s, his music started to go into eclipse when the newer composers like Walton and Britton came on the scene. And their right. style was very really different from Scott. Scott's very mystical. He thought of himself as being uh, the reincarnation. His past reincarnations were in ancient Egypt and things like that. So he was all involved in that. He also was a, a writer on alternative medicine
0: I do remember that. Was it Alistair? What's the guy's name? Alistair Crowley? It was someone who was, who was also big into all of that stuff as a, as a writer on you know, alternative medicine and stuff who he got involved with. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else. He did a lot, of, a lot of writing on that. But he was very involved in all this occult stuff. As, as you mentioned before, the kind of World War I is the kind of dividing line between some of these composers. Like you mentioned, Britton and Walton, they were the post-World War I crowd yeah, so they,
1: were the new, they were the new crowd so they that's took so it Happened in america too it's like that's debt is really pre-world war one in the roots of his style and then after that then you have copeland and barber and people that come on the scene later right that kind of displace the early figures
0: interesting yeah so so i guess cyril scott from um the perspective of maybe a kind of getting a revival as as an English composer is he, is he getting gaining traction?
1: Oh yeah, he's getting. Most of his works have gotten gotten recorded now. There's not so much that's not done, um, and his works are being performed more, which is very happy. And I think in general, there's more interest in in composers from that period, right, from the early 20th century that have gotten neglected and passed over for the the new the new styles that came on,
0: on board. And there's a, there's a 17 or 18 minute piano sonata.
1: Yeah. Well, a movement.
0: Many, and the second
1: one is in one movement, which of course immediately suggests Scriabin. And sure. the, the one I think you'll probably concur is very Scriabinesque. esque Yep. And, um, and that has been recorded before or is this? Um... I did the first recording back in 2004 and there's been a couple of recordings, other recordings since. Okay. Uh, so it's getting it's getting out there, but it's a really cool piece. It, it was in the early '30s, and it's very it's very mystical. But again, like
0: Skriabin, it's a sonata form piece. Sure. And is it is it um kind of I don't want to say in the shadow or kind of in light of you know as influence from Scriabin or was Cyril Scott just his own kind of mystical person?
1: Um, I don't think his mystical ideas were that similar to Scriabin, but I think his style certainly derives a lot from Scriabin. Um, Right. Whether he was influenced by Scriabin or arrived at the same place in from different ways, um, I couldn't say necessarily exactly, but there's a lot of similarities, I think, in particular in the structure, um, in the way that, that all this kind of chromatic, um, Almost atonal language is kept together by a strict sonata form. Right, that's a feature of Skriabin's later works, and that's why they that's why they work is because you don't have this create just this crazy language. You need something that pulls a structure. it structure, some kind of structure, and Skriabin does that marvelously uh, in the late sonatas, and, and Cyril Scott I think followed in that
0: thing. Well I'm interested to hear I only listened to it I think maybe once or twice at a, at a 17 or 18 minute sonata um obviously depending on you know how it's played is kind of twice the length of of Scriabin's single movement sonatas and and to kind of uh what does it take as maybe a composer or as a as a performer to kind of stretch that single movement form to to the lengths that he did
1: um scrap and does it in
0: you know 10 minutes or something
1: takes a lot of concentration to to um carry, carry it through because it's a long movement you don't have any rests or any breaks and right so that whole thing rolling and keep it together as you're performing it to keep it keep the tension going it's it's a lot it's a lot on the performer
0: and what's the response been have you have you programmed those in uh, in recitals
1: yeah, Thurl Scott, the the second sonata, I've gotten also very good responses from people because again, it's it sounds kind of forbidding, but it's again not. I don't think it's very difficult to listen to, right? It's it's still pretty melodious, and it's got very sweet coloristic sections in it that are maybe a little bit more like Debussy than you usually get in in Scriabin. Right. I don't think it sounds very English necessarily. So I think his early works, like the first symphony, are more like what you might expect from Von Williams. Va- yes, exactly. Like but but his later stuff is is much more is less English. It's more French or Russian.
0: And we can expect more Cyril Scott from Clipper
1: Erickson. Well, probably. I'd like to redo the the second sonata. I might even record some of the other ones. Um, I think sonatas are a very interesting topic in the in the 20th century, be, what composers do with sonatas. Griffith's sonata is another
0: one I'd like to get down, American composer. This just came to mind. An incredible, has to be honestly one of my favorite, uh, the most impressive, incredible pieces is of Frank Bridge.
1: Frank Bridge, yeah, there's a great violin sonata.
0: I, I have heard of it. I have not heard the, the violin sonata, but, but his piano sonata has blown me away. Uh, um,
1: I don't know that one. So I'll have to look into that. It, I would,
0: I would highly recommend the, the Frank bridge piano sonata. I want to say that there's a couple performances of it, uh, on YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. one of them I think might be incomplete, but it, it, it triggers thoughts of, of, of Scriabin to me, um, Almost kind of a, you know, if, if Liszt had written his B minor sonata in, you know, 1930 or something is kind of what, how I feel about it. It's phenomenal. Um, but it has to feel good to kind of be, you know, partially responsible for bringing these works to larger audiences.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's really wonderful. I've, I've, I've built most of my career in the last 20 years around that because I feel like I want to leave something that really matters. To bring all these works to people, but you can't play programs of just all unknown pieces and get sure, people. Of to, course, you need to have your Beethoven sonatas and your Rhapsody in Blue and your Rachmaninoff <laughs> <laughs> because so that gets people
0: interested to come and listen. Sure, and then and then you and can kind you of change people, it up with.
1: Yeah, then if you they come into it's like oh debt yeah that's really cool you know but but you need something to grab people to get them in But take you seriously.
0: Here's a. This is a, another completely kind of off-topic question, but since I have a, a, a professional uh, here, Revels' two piano concertos, yeah, uh, the G and then the left-hand one. Mm-hmm. I love his solo piano work, the uh, oh, yeah. Gaspard, the three movements of that, and then the. To me, are, are just kind of spellbinding. I don't want to say that I'm disappointed, but I feel like if he had written a piano concerto that had not gotten that kind of jazz fever, if he had written a piano concerto from the days of, of Sonatine or Gaspard or something like that, what would that have been like? Do have you played either of the Ravel's? I've played the G. What do you, how do you feel about it? I think it's it's one of the great slow movements ever. The, the slow movement is incredible. It really is.
1: That that and the slow movement of the Barber Piano Concerto are the two greatest slow movements in the piano concerto literature in the 20th century. So what would have happened if he had written a concerto earlier? I, well, I don't know. Maybe it would have been taken over by the orchestra.
0: Yeah, know. could it have is,
1: been. You know, Daphnis and Chloe, then it, I don't know.
0: <laughs> but that that kind of, that musical language I had, would, would have been, I think, incredible to see what he would have, uh, what he would have, done with that um speaking of five minute piano cadenzas, have you played any of the prokofiev that the the cadenza from his second
1: i made my debut on that piece oh really that's a
0: hell of yeah. a debut yeah
1: uh-huh the, the prokofiev second. <laughs> oh, my oh. in, uh, okay 1970 uh, something
0: my because that's because that is a beast of a concerto that's a oh yeah it is what was that like to play that? Yeah. Well,
1: it's half it's half long. of the movement. It helps have it being young and being
0: testosterone laden. Uh, well, um something we, we talked earlier about Martha Ann Verbit. In yeah. an interview in an interview I listened to, she said that one of her I think it was her New York premiere, she programmed his eighth sonata.
1: Yeah, that's and, the biggest one.
0: And I think I think in in so many words she said that she was she was too stupid to know fear, to be afraid of you know, of doing that. Yeah,
1: exactly. When you're young, you don't, yeah, you just kind of like go for stuff like that. And you don't, you don't think about what you're doing, you know? So that's, that's good to be young, to be doing that.
0: Do you, uh, is it something you still, you still perform to this day?
1: Um, I haven't played it since the nineties, although I did Rachmaninoff third last year for the first time. I'd never done it before.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. So but what are those two cuz cuz those those two concertos are kind of considered I've read articles and things that you know most difficult piano concerto and it's um either of the Brahms or Prokofiev 2 or Rachmaninoff 3 or the um uh, who was the one who's got the giant one with the chorus at the end Sonny yeah yeah okay what's
1: well, what
0: what's it like between Prokofiev 2 or Rachmaninoff 3 the the challenges for those two well, works
1: Rahman, the, the, the dirty secret, I think, is that Rachmaninoff III is not that hard. It's very pianistic. I mean, not that it's not hard. Technically, I right. I wouldn't say it was one of the hardest. It's just damn long.
0: <laughs> it is long. It's
1: just like the piano plays for 45 minutes with no break. And it, the textures, are, all, except for the beginning, are unrelievably thick. So it's just a tsunami of notes to hold in your head. That's the challenge of the piece. It's not so much that the notes are horrendously difficult to play. It's right. It's just so many of them.
0: Well, it's it's interesting. I was reading, I was watching actually, um, Mitsuko Uchida, a video. She's talking about the Schoenberg Concerto. And, and Rachmaninoff obviously was an incredible pianist. He was, you know, himself uh, very accomplished. But she says that Schoenberg was not... And that his piano concerto fits very poorly in the hands for that reason. Um,
1: I would, yeah, but Rachmaninoff third fits beautifully in the hand. He himself said that it was the most he pian- was more pianistic than the second. You know, because there are a few things in the second concerto that are a little awkward. Fits so well, everything fits
0: in the third. It's just like totally engineered. That's fascinating. That's so cool. And and do you get? Do you still enjoy after having talked about? Um, Debt and Finko and Cyril Scott, these, these rare performers to, to go and play something like Rachmaninoff's third. Um, yeah, what's the, what, kind of, what's the, what's the different approach? Cause again, the pressure is that, you know, it's a, it's a concert favorite.
1: Well, the, yeah, but it's a concert favorite that people love. True. So it's, you can hardly go wrong. I mean, you, even if you play it reasonably well, people are going to love it. You know, True. And because, of, of the piece, because of the piece. So it's very gratifying to play. So it's just, but it's a little nerve wracking just simply because it's so long, you know, like 19 year olds, they don't know better. <laughs>
0: just, just, just jump into it.
1: Jump in and they like go, they plow through that, that tidal wave of notes and they're, you know, they're, they're there and it's, it is very beautiful. It sounds so beautiful on the, on the instrument. The other piece that I've got an interest in recording is the Rachmaninoff First Piano Sonata.
0: I love that sonata.
1: I love it. I like it much better than the second. I do too, actually. I do too. He plays the second, and there's a zillion recordings of it, but the first has this aura that is just magnificent.
0: It sounds to me, the beginning is almost kind of like this church bells or bells tolling, this kind of ominous, hollow. I, I I love the piece.
1: Yeah. I love it. It's, it's a narrative. It's, and it's a demonic narrative and it's one of the few, well, I think it might be the only, maybe except the Isle of the Dead, that that of Rachmaninoff's pieces that don't end in some kind of victorious conclusion. Right. You know, it just ends with this dark somber damnation thing. And it's just really, I, I think it's really cool. I love it. And it's got, yeah, it's got chanting and horses and bells and all of these very Russian images.
0: No, it is actually I, I, when I I was looking for a, actually a, a recording of the of the first sonata recently, and I you know searched Rachmaninoff first sonata, and I still got Rachmaninoff second sonata. Um. <laughs> yeah.
1: The recording is, that I grew up in is John Ogden, who was my teacher, and who was a, yeah, yeah, I very interesting.
0: I will, I'll I'll check it out then.
1: Yeah, check in, if it's online anywhere. It's just magnificent. So i will do that no my my teacher put it down and it's like okay there's no way to surpass it but then okay there's ways to do it differently and right. you don't have to do everything the same even though you're not going to surpass it you, you can still respect it and do it one thing that i've kind of got in my my hopper of things to do is to do that and then i'll look at the frank bridge sonata
0: I would be very curious to hear your thoughts on on what you think of that. After having talked about some of this some of this modern stuff, I I was blown away by it. Uh, I I got into this thing where I listened to it probably daily for for a while. It was just kind of captivating. Um, but but speaking of of concertos, what about Scriabin's piano concerto? I have played that in four times. I love it. It is. I've I I, I've heard it in recordings a million times. It's a stunning piece. And I heard it for the first time live a few months ago.
1: Oh, the slow movement is just divine. I love the slow
0: movement. It's beautiful. And I don't know why it's not performed more. That's a
1: good question. I don't know why.
0: why people- it's, it's very approachable. You know, it's nothing, like, it's nothing like the nature of like a piano sonata, or I'm sorry, a piano concerto that he would have written. Well, like the poem of fire is kind of, you know, it's a concertante piece. Um, yeah you know, it's, it's early, it's, it's Chopin-esque, it's, it's incredible. And it's only what, 25 minutes, something like that. Um, yeah. Well, it's hard.
1: It's at least for its time, for its length, it's as hard as Rachmaninoff third. Really? Yeah. I think technically it's not as long as Rachmaninoff third, sure. but it's really nasty stuff in the last movement. That's like almost not playable.
0: I just think it's a stunning piece. And again, something that I think, you know, could could easily be be performed in a concert hall to to great reception. Yeah, I've played it a
1: couple of times with a really good conductor, and it was really satisfying. I'd be itching to do it again because it's a really cool piece.
0: It's so nice, so nice. The, thing is that the
1: orchestration maybe is a little flippy. Oh, really? I think orchestras are not particularly crazy about about doing it uh, huh. because the orchestration maybe is not as nice as Rachmaninoff. Long. And I think the story was is that Rimsky-Korsakov had, was called in to do the orchestration for him because he was like, I don't know, 20 or something. Yeah, and he was young. Yeah, he didn't know enough about orchestration. So Rimsky-Korsakov came in and, of course, Rimsky-Korsakov <laughs> thought it was like the music was nutty. But he was called in to help orchestrate it.
0: How oh, interesting. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. And then, of course, you know, it's F-sharp major. String players don't like playing in F-sharp major. It's a piano key. It's so not a string key.
0: Yeah, true. No, actually recently I heard um a couple of times I have heard the Tchaikovsky second piano concerto. Yeah, that's a good piece also. You don't hear that much out of Russia. It's so I heard um the Chinese pianist, Yu Wang, played it here with um with the Concert from Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's such an obscure piece, I think. The whole the whole cello thing where the piano kinda walks away in the second movement and like Yeah. It's very interesting though. And then and then there's a there's a third. Yes, there is a third, which I don't know. it's I know nothing about it, but it it's incomplete or it's just the first movement or or something something along those lines. Yeah. Well, it sounds like in maybe another six months or a year or more, we'll have a follow-up conversation about all your new projects. I can't wait to hear more recordings.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's going to be into next year by the time I get the the Finco done. But the Laurie Altman should get done probably the end of the year.
0: I would be very interested to hear all of it. It's yeah. very exciting, well, and it has to be. Are you just kind of like itching to kind of you know share it and get it out there? And I, I know it must take ages to get it all you know worked out. But
1: yeah, I'm I'm excited about getting it out there. The the Rachmaninoff variations and the um, and uh, the sonata, the Tanzania, it's really wonderful stuff. It's really cool. I'll pass you um, on uh, Dropbox uh, the, my recording of the fifth sonata and see what you think.
0: Excellent. I will, be, I will uh, look forward to hearing that. Yeah. Because if, you know.
1: It's got, again, it's, it's got a huge fugue is the last movement. Oh wow! Okay, it sounds like Hammerklavier. It's like a devilishly difficult fugue. It's like five minutes long, and it just kind of goes and goes. It's it really is difficult.
0: Fantastic. I uh, I will look forward to it because I have I, I I kind of have it. I'm so glad that you brought some of this other stuff up because our our conversation originally was about uh, debt. But as I said, I'm kind of interested and curious about um, you know these composers. Scriabin and Chopin and Schumann and Schubert can't be all there is, right? And so, to 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 hear about your projects with with new new people and and new works, that was kind of how I got down these these rabbit holes on on the internet after Scriabin with things like Ornstein and Scott and Masalov and um, you know, Feinberg. Yeah, there's just so
1: much out there. It's like who who can find you know who can know all of it.
0: That in this, especially in this day and age where things like YouTube exist is the time to begin to, I don't know if propagate is the right word, you know, to, to get it out there. Well, so exciting. Thanks very much for your time.
1: Oh, it's really wonderful to talk to you.
0: Let's stay in touch.
1: Yeah, let's do that.
0: And that is the end of my conversations for now with Clipper Erickson. He was a delight to speak to and, um, I'm going to look into trying – we actually talked a little bit about me trying to get him over here into uh, Taiwan because I'd love to see him perform live. I've heard him perform, and I hope you guys have heard him perform. Go check out my Cup Runeth Over and uh, some of the upcoming projects uh, that he talked about here. We actually spoke for a number of hours over multiple conversations, and I had kind of whittled and edited all of this down and taken out some of the other ramblings and things that I would love to include, but they were kind of tangential. And so uh, we whittled it down to these two episodes, but uh, maybe later I'll include some, you know extra footage or whatever else, if maybe it's apropos to some topic in the future, uh, for the podcast, check Clipper Erickson out, go buy my cup runneth over, um, check us out on Facebook at Fugue for Thought, F-U-G-U-E, Fugue, and at Fugue for Thought dot D-E, Fugue for Thought dot D-E. I'm Alan, and that's going to be all for now. Thanks very much, guys. Bye-bye. Uh, I went to a, a recital where a a young Asian girl beat the hell out of a piano on Scrabin's 's fifth sonata, and then who was the guy there's a there 's a russian a modern Russian pianist who plays who who writes Russian jazzy stuff his name begins with an n or t or something I I yes yes exactly yeah, nikolai yes
1: i don 't li- like that that much. Uh, um, it was it was novel Laurie Altman's like the real thing Kapustin always impresses me as being a little phony see you guys next time